It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Once my proof that the first cause of the universe is identical with the God of the Bible gets out into the public consciousness, there will be a flurry of objections from atheists. The atheists have too much invested to give up and roll over and play dead. In Ed Fazer's book, Five Proofs for the Existence of God, there are 18 objections to his proofs, And in the book, Come Let Us Reason, edited by Paul Copan and William Lane Craig, Craig writes an article entitled, Objections So Bad I Couldn't Have Made Them Up, where he listed 10 objections to the Kalam cosmological argument. Similarly, Peter Kreeft and Ron Ticelli list three objections to the Kalam argument. In Christian Apologetics, Norman Gosler critiques atheism as a worldview. In doing so, he shows the failure of 16 atheistic claims against theism. Geisler acknowledges that atheism provides some valuable correctives and modifications of theism. Nevertheless, he says its arguments are invalid and often self-defeating. Secondly, many atheistic arguments are really reversible into reasons for believing in God. I will only mention a few of these objections. Fazer says, this first objection may be the single most common objection against arguments for a divine cause of the universe. This is found in what I call Objection 1. It says, if everything that exists needs a cause, then God needs a cause. This objection is routinely raised. In fact, Ravi Zacharias and Norman Gosler wrote a book entitled, Who Made God? And it shows the popularity of this objection. This is the staple objection of the new atheist literature. Richard Dawkins appeals to it on page 77 of his book, The God Delusion. Similarly, Daniel Dennett's book, Breaking the Spell, appeals to it on page 252. Sam Harris's Letter to a Christian Nation on pages 72 to 73. Stephen Hawking and Leonard Mlad Denau, The Grand Design, on page 172. Christopher Hitchens, God is Not Great, on page 61. Lawrence Krauss's A Universe from Nothing, on page 
XII, Victor J. Stinger's God and the Folly of Faith on pages 215 and 323 and 324. All these authors appeal to this same objection. No cosmological argument that I know about rests on the premise that everything has a cause. In particular, this objection has absolutely no force against my argument that the first cause of the universe is identical to the God of the Bible. This challenge to the Kalam cosmological argument for God's existence creates a straw man argument by actually misrepresenting the real argument, a common atheistic ploy, and changes the actual argument to another argument that is easier to refute. It doesn't take much astute observation to realize that the Kalam argument does not claim that everything needs a cause for its existence. Rather, everything that begins to exist needs a cause. This restricts the argument to everything in the natural realm. By definition, God is supernatural and eternal. It makes no sense to speak of God coming into existence. Either he exists forever and needs no cause, or he does not exist and never will exist. Thus, to ask who made God, or what caused God, far from being the devastating retort new atheist writers suppose it to be, tries to set up a false requirement for God's existence. What's the truth here? God is uncaused. Nothing made God. To ask who caused the uncaused creator of the universe is just plain silly logic on the same intellectual level as the question, who is buried in Ulysses S. Grant's grave? If atheists ask who created God, then they are really talking about idols designed by man and not the cause of the universe. Objection 2. Some atheists suggest that even if there must be a necessary being, it might be that the universe itself, or the Big Bang, or the multiverse, or quantum events, or the laws of physics, is the necessary being rather than God. Response. We're talking about evidence supporting truth here. What place is there in talking about what might be true? Okay, if something might be, then offer some evidence for it. But nothing yet has been offered. So it sounds to me like a drowning person clutching at straws to keep afloat. Ed Fazer says, This objection, which goes back to at least to David Hume, is raised in various forms by New Atheist writers Dawkins, Dennett, Grayling, Krauss, Rosenberg, and Stinger. And like the first objection, raised by atheists that everything has a cause 
rather than everything that begins to exist, completely misses the point of each of the arguments defended in Fazer's book. Nothing that is a mixture of actuality and potentiality or is composite in any way or anything caused or contingent can be necessary. So since the universe is all of those things, the universe cannot be a necessary being. Moreover, Fazer says his other proofs preclude the Big Bang or the multiverse or quantum events or the laws of physics from being necessary things. I list one more objection from Fazer's book, Objection 3. The cosmological argument proposes a God of the gaps hypothesis in order to explain something which in fact either is or eventually will be better explained via a naturalistic scientific theory. Response. What do you mean by God of the gaps argument? How can you know in advance what naturalistic scientific theory eventually will produce? This objection is from scientism. And remember, scientism is not science. How can you say something that is a fact when it hasn't even been discovered yet? Are you charging that when push comes to shove, the scientists will invent something without evidence? You use the words better explanation. Better from what point of view? Atheistic or theistic? How did you come to your conclusion? You made the claim, so the burden of proof is on you. So what do you have to say? Just because you accept something as true doesn't make it true. Show me your evidence. Ed Fazer says, This I think it is fair to say. The central conceit of the entire New Atheist Project Fazer then lists what different atheistic writers say about the cosmological argument. Fazer goes on to say, the versions of the cosmological argument defended in this book are simply not God of the gaps explanation. I agree with Fazer, and the same can be said of my argument. In his article in Come Let Us Reason, William Lane Craig lists three objections where the objector charges Craig of having committed a logical fallacy. I will discuss only two objections. Objection four. The Kalam cosmological argument is question-begging. <clears throat> For the truth of the first premise presupposes the truth of the conclusion. Therefore, the argument is an example of reasoning in a circle. Response. All the objector is describing is the nature of any deductive argument. I would ask the objector, what do you mean by question begging? The objector may have a definition different from the usual meaning. The usual definition is, begging the question is an informal logical fallacy, meaning A, arriving at a conclusion from statements that themselves are questionable 
have to be proved but are assumed to be true. B. Assuming the conclusion or part of the conclusion in the premises of an argument. Sometimes this is called circular reasoning, vicious circularity, vicious circle fallacy. C. Arguing in a circle. One statement A is supported by reference to another statement B, which is supported by reference to the first statement A. Example, aristocracy is the best form of government because the best form of government is one that has strong aristocratic leadership. The Kalam cosmological argument is not like that at all. The reasons given in support of the first premise are quite independent of the argument's conclusion. Therefore, it's obvious the argument does not beg the question. Objection 5. First cause arguments commit the fallacy of composition. It fallaciously infers that because everything in the universe has a cause, therefore the universe has a cause. Response. Assume what you mean by the fallacy of composition refers to a part-to-whole reasoning that supposes that when each member of a collection is explained individually, there is something still left over to be explained, namely the collection as a whole. So I would ask, are you assuming that the first cause arguments makes this kind of mistake? In other words, are you assuming that if each element within the universe is contingent, then the universe itself is not contingent? That seems to be a major stretch of the imagination. If one removes all of the contingent elements of the universe, what would be left? I think the answer is nothing. So it seems to me that means the universe is itself contingent. But that is not how I reasoned. Common experience and scientific methods confirm the truth of premise one in the Kalam argument. This is really an objection to inductive reasoning that is used in every scientific study. It draws on inductive inference about all members of an entire class of things based on a small sample of the class. This kind of inductive reasoning underlies all of science, and it is a foolish act of desperation to confuse it with reasoning by composition. Ed Vazor says, this is an objection of David Hume and is repeated by A.C. Grayling in God Argument, page 97. Neither Fazer nor I know of any first cause argument that uses this part-to-whole type of reasoning. Certainly the arguments in Ed Fazer's book and the book by Boa and Bowman do not involve the fallacy of composition. My own argument in the Kalam argument and the consequences about the nature of the first cause does not commit this fallacy. But what it all boils down to is that this objection either simply misses the point or perhaps sees the point 
but wants to put up a smokescreen to avoid the conclusion of the first cause for the beginning of the universe being identical to the God of the Bible. I will continue listing objections in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.